So as we're getting into the sermon this week, I want to share a story I read recently. It's uh, about two men who found themselves on a train on a Sunday morning, and it, it didn't take them long to recognize and realize that they were both heading to worship. And so after some awkward pauses and awkward stops, finally one man mustered up the strength and the courage to ask the other man a powerful question, Protestant or Catholic? Said the other man, not quite sure what's going on, somewhat surprised by the boldness of the first gentleman, sheepishly responded, Protestant. First guy breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, that's great. Me too. What denomination? Again, the other guy, not quite sure how to respond, recognizing the, uh, the, the criticism and the, and the division that may be upon him at any moment, quietly and sheepishly responds, Baptist? The other guy said, oh, that's amazing. Me too. Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist, Central Baptist, or General Baptist? And the guy getting a little burst of enthusiasm, like maybe this is his long-lost friend, it was a little more common, it says, General Baptist, and the guy says, that's amazing. Me too, this is great. And they go back and forth like this for a number of stops, and they finally get to the end of their journey. And right before he gets off the train, the first guy asks one final question. Republican or Democrat? And the second guy, in believing that he found his long-lost brothers filled with the courage and excitement of the unity they have as brothers of Christ, boldly proclaimed his political party, of which the first guy replied, die, heretic, and left off in a huff. <laughs> it's a great reminder. Conflict. Conflict in the Christian church happens. And if you've been a Christian, a part of a church long enough, you've either been a part of one, witnessed one, or know someone who's heard of one. And nothing seems to divide Christians more than disagreement about God's plans and strategies and timing. We all seem to have our opinions and our ideas about what God's up to, how he's going to get there and when it's going to happen. Most Christians can agree that God's up to something. But when we disagree on what he's doing, how he's getting there, or when he's going to do it, boy, that's when the divisions happen. So when that happens in your life, what do you do? What happens in your life when you find yourself in the midst of a church or a Christian group or a household or a marriage to where you're confident that God is moving, that God is stirring, but you're not quite sure how? or what, or when, and you disagree with the people around you, how should we move forward? That's what I love about this next passage. If you have your Bibles, you could join me in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. We're in Acts chapter 11. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this great setup. Right, that God went through all these lengths to bring two men from completely different spheres of life together for one powerful encounter and one miraculous result. The first guy, his name is Cornelius. He's, he's a Gentile. 
He's a centurion. He, he's a leader of a hundred soldiers. But the Bible also says he's devout and reverent. He's committed to the God of the Bible and he's generous. And he's investing in the people of God. And he prayed. Man, Cornelius prayed. Most people believe he prayed about this continued division, this, this fact that he was still cut off from God because he was a Gentile. He was cut off from God, he was cut off from others. And at some point, God sent an angel to Cornelius with a message. Cornelius, God's heard your prayers. And he says, go send for Peter. Peter was the other guy, completely different spot than Cornelius. Cornelius, a Gentile, worked for the government, a man of power, worldly power. Peter, he was a Jew. He had relationship with God. He walked with Jesus for three years. Peter was so connected to Jesus, Jesus actually gave him a nickname, the rock, because he's going to build his church on Peter. Peter got the keys of the kingdom. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was busy in ministry, ministering to God's people. He was busy doing God's work. But at the same time, God was ministering to Cornelius. God did something with Peter. And told Peter to go see Cornelius. And that's when God did a work. There's an entire household of Gentiles was brought into the fold, brought into the family. In fact, it culminates with this at the end of Acts chapter 10. These are the words of Peter. Peter says this, after all of that great setup and what God did in the midst, he said, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. And we read that and we think, yeah, that's amazing. That's the power of the gospel. That's incredible. That's what we love. And now in 10, ten chapters, we have Jews coming to Jesus. We have Samaritans coming to Jesus. And now we have Gentiles coming to Jesus in one big stew. One big unified body. And, and everyone says, yeah, we love that. We're excited because that's a great thing, right? And we finish chapter 10 thinking everyone's going to love it, right? But then we get to chapter 11, verse 1. And we read this. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Let's hit pause for a minute. You got to feel bad for Peter. I mean, Peter's coming off this spiritual high, right? He's coming off this moment. He saw, he learned a lesson from God. He saw God move in a powerful way. He saw an entire household receive the Holy Spirit, people that he first thought were unclean and cut off from God, that God just saved him. I mean, Peter's coming home, and he's riding high. He's thinking, this is great. God's doing stuff. And lo and behold, everyone didn't agree. There's a group of 
circumcised Christians, meaning Jewish Christians, who took issue, the term took issue, a brouhaha means they disrupted Peter, criticized Peter, actually separated themselves from Peter. I mean, Peter's thinking God's doing this amazing work, one of the most powerful things that the Holy Spirit has accomplished to date in the first 10 chapters. And all of a sudden, this group of people, he goes back and this group of Christians take issue, they separate, they criticize, they judge, they put himself away from him. And I want you to notice why. They weren't mad because Gentiles became Christians, although I'm sure they weren't happy about that either. Look what they're mad at. He said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You went and ate with a bunch of sinners. You ate with Gentiles. You ate with people that are cut off from us. And I was reading, boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Wasn't that the same thing the Pharisees had against Jesus? The author of Acts, Luke, also wrote a gospel. Look what Luke reminds us of in Luke chapter 5. Tells this story, after that, speaking of Jesus, after that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. He left everything behind and got up and began to follow him, and Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them, and the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And now you're thinking, okay, well, maybe that solves it. They just didn't know. Well, we go a few chapters later, Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him. I first loved that. Now all, all the tax collectors and sinners, that had to have been a big group. All the tax collectors and all the sinners, right? Looks like, look, hey, this is like filled with them. All these irreparable people. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners. And each of them, their big complaint, man, Jesus, you're messing with the wrong people. What are you doing? Eating. Having a relationship with all those broken people, the cut off people, the Gentiles and the sinners. I'm reading this passage. I began to think, I wonder if I was Peter, how I'd respond. I just got a vision from God. I just saw God work a miracle in a household of Gentiles. I just saw the Holy Spirit descend on all of them. And when you're confident that God is moving and you know what God is doing and people disagree with you, how do you respond? Yeah, some of us, we might value unity over truth, and so just let it go and forget everything that God taught us so that we don't have conflict and stay together. Others of us might, might be so confident in what God's doing that we can no longer be a part of this original movement that don't get it, and so we're going to leave the original Church of Christ and go down the street and start the second Church of Christ. Ever wonder how that happens? First Baptist, second Baptist... Or there might be some people who say, no, this is my church, we're going to stay here, but we're going to judge you, we're going to criticize you. We're going to watch you and question your salvation 
Because obviously there's something wrong with your view of God. See, I think the way we would deal with this sort of idea to where we know God's doing something, but we don't agree on what he's doing, how he's doing it, or when it's going to happen. Man, nothing seems to divide Christians more, but this is what I love about Peter. See, Peter responds differently than we expect, and that's why there's that big biblical but there. First word of uh, verse four, but it alerts us. That big biblical but, it's more than just fun to say. It's there for a reason. It alerts us that Peter's about to do something different than what we expect. When people start challenging him, questioning him, when Peter could have just said, listen, I'm the rock. I have the keys to the kingdom. I had a vision of God. Step back, get out. Listen to what he said. But Peter, he just began to speak and he proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence. A term explain term means that Peter went to work exposing the truth that was hidden. Peter went to make clear to them what was being missed. You know what I love about this is Peter sees something in them that we tend to forget. See, those early Christians back then, they didn't have the luxury of reading Acts chapter 1 through 10. They're, They're working on limited intel. They're working on only partial of a picture. They don't know about the vision that Peter had. They don't know about about the angel appearing to Cornelius. They don't know about the work of the Holy Spirit that just stirred up the whole thing in that household. And they're filled with a little bit of cultural bias. You mix all that up together and you have a problem. But Peter, instead of judging them, kicking them out of church, yelling at them, screaming at them, questioning their salvation, Peter hits pause and explains in hopes that he opens their eyes to allow them to see the truth as he does. And I'm gonna cut to the end real quick. I want you to know as a result of Peter's actions, what could have resulted in disunity and fractions ended up in the confidence in God's plan for salvation. My question for you, when we're in a spot, in a church, in a family, in a culture, where most Christians believe God is moving. But we don't agree on how, when, or what he's doing. What do we do? How do we move forward? And I thought, what a timely time for us, because there always seems to be a talking head who claims to have the authority and the right answer. What would Peter do? And when we hit times like that, what should we do? That's what I want to share with you. Three steps. Three steps that Peter followed. Three steps I'd like to encourage us to follow in our lives as well. So there's all this issue, and Peter begins to explain. And look at what the first thing he explains, verse 5. Peter goes in and says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Big biblical bot right there. Right, you expect Peter to say, oh, okay, God, sure thing. Peter says, but I said, by no means, Lord, that by no means, that's emphatic. 
Heck no, no way, never, uh-uh, not gonna happen. By, but it sounds more biblical to say, by no means, Lord. For nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Another big biblical but, verse nine, just when you think everything's fine. But a voice from heaven answered a second time. With this powerful truth, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Peter says, this happened three times and everything was drawn back up into the sky. First thing Peter does, says, listen, I'm just listening to God. I'm just listening to God. I was minding my own business. I was busy doing ministry. I was just taking a break, waiting for lunch. A vision came down. This sheet came down with all sort of this creepy crawly stuff. A voice told me to eat. I said, heck no, no way, not going to happen. I'm a good Jew. Peter says, look, I struggled with it too. But God said, what I consider clean, what I have purified, what I have established, what I had made clean, what I have completely healed, you no longer call unholy, no longer consider it defiled, polluted, or unclean. If God calls it clean, it's clean. If God calls it holy, it's holy. If God says it's finished, it's finished. Peter says, I'm just minding my own business. And then I got this message from the Lord, this truth of God into my life. And just in case you think I'm crazy, God repeated it three times just for my stubborn heart. Peter says, the first thing you got to understand why I'm going the way I'm going. Listen to God. I think, what a great start for us. When we know God's up to something, but we're not sure what. When we know God's moving, but we can't agree on what he's doing, where he's going, or how he's going to get there. What's the first thing we should do? Listen to God. You might say, well, how do we do that? I mean, we don't get dreams. We don't get visions. We have God's word right here. When we know God's up to something, but we're not sure what he's doing, how he's going to get there, or when it's going to happen, first thing to do, listen to God's word. It's all right here. In fact, the apostle Paul told his young protege, Timothy, the exact same thing. When that young church is in the midst of persecution and drama, and yet all these people giving different opinions on what people should do and shouldn't do, this young pastor was struggling. The apostle Paul gave him this word. He said, go to Scripture. Timothy, in the midst of all of this, go to Scripture. Hey, Brian, why? Why should we go to Scripture? And Paul answers it. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, all Scripture is inspired, the Greek for that phrase, inspired, theonoustos. God breathed, it's the breath of God. The breath of God worked through human authors to guide their pens, to reveal his truth to us in a way that's infallible, inerrant, and completely authoritative. 
That's what Paul's saying. All scripture is inspired by God. Man, this is the revealed truth. If God wants us to know it, it's here. And if it's not in here, perhaps you don't need to worry about it. This is God's revealed word. And it's profitable. It's beneficial, useful, advantageous. For what? First, for teaching. It gives you the truth of God. The truth of God's right here. This is God's truth. Everything we need to know about God and what he desires for our lives, it's in here. It's for teaching. It gives us the truth of God. It's for reproof. That term reproof means it's good at confronting error. This is not some passive book. It takes our lies, our fears, our sin, and it shreds them to pieces. It lays bare our mortality and our flawed perspectives and opinions. Man, this not only gives us the truth of God, but it confronts the lies that we have in our heart and our head. But it also corrects. It doesn't just rip those to shreds and leave it. It then straightens our crooked path and restores us on a path of righteousness for his name's sake. This is scripture. It's profitable, it's useful, it's important, it's advantageous for teaching, giving us truth, correcting our false opinions, putting us on a right path, and look for training. It cultivates our spiritual life, coaches our day-to-day decisions. And Paul says, Timothy, you're in the midst of a kooky culture. We're not the first. There's been kooky Californias long before us. First step Paul always gives. Listen to God. Listen to his word. Love the end of that verse. After all of those, it says, so that we may be adequate, sufficient, and equipped for every good work. Man, you ever feel like you're under the gun, like you're, you're, you're about to drown, that you're not equipped to fulfill what Christ has called you to? It's all in here. This is Theonustos, the breath of God. This is no textbook. It's not an encyclopedia. Statistics tell us that the average American family has four of these in their home. There's no reason for us to be lost. And this is the word of God. It gives us truth, corrects our error, puts us on a path of righteousness for his name's sake, and equips us and empowers us to move forward to bring him glory in the midst of whatever culture throws at us. First step for us as a church, as a family, as a home, as a community, we know God is stirring. We know God's doing something, but we can't agree on what He's doing, how He's doing it, or when He's going to accomplish it. What do we do? First step, we go to God's Word. We listen to God, we listen to God's Word, but Peter isn't done. Peter then goes on and says, Listen, when when we as good Christian people who love Jesus, we know God's up to something, but we can't all agree on what he's doing, when he's doing it, or how he's going to accomplish it. 
First thing, listen to God. Listen to God's word. Second, Peter says, follow the Spirit. That's what he did. Look at verse 11, right after he's talking about this voice of God, this truth of God in his life. Verse 11, he said, then, behold, surprise. Remember when you see those those beholds, we circle them because it draws our attention. This is something you don't want to miss. And behold, surprise, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Verse 12, the Holy Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me and we entered the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send a Joppa and have Simon, who's also called Peter, brought here. He will speak words to you by which you will be saved and you and your entire household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. First thing Peter does, he trusts the word of God. He listens to God. Second, he follows the Spirit. And I love, he says this, the Spirit told me to go without misgivings. In the Greek, without misgivings. That means without debate, no questions, no buts, just no excuses, just go. Right? Holy Spirit, like, Peter, I'm not talking about this with you. Just go. But, uh-uh, go. But that's three, no, uh-uh. But my friends, I don't care. Peter, just go. I don't want to hear about it. Just go. And, and Peter's like, listen, I know that because the Holy Spirit told me. The term told, he spoke to me. I heard his words. I closed my Bible and I'm like, man, I wish God did that for me. I wish I would just hear the voice of God. It'd make it so much easier if the Holy Spirit just said, Brian, take your kids out of public school. Or it'd be easier to say, Brian, keep your kids in public school. That would just take a lot more angst off of Gretchen and I. And make it a lot easier with our friends, because we got friends on both sides, right? Be so much easier if Holy Spirit just said, vote for this guy. Vote for that guy. If the Holy Spirit just told me, don't invest in stocks, go cryptocurrency. Brian, that's the future. <laughs> it just make it so much easier if the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Brian, this is your next sermon series. Brian, this is the next step in church. Man, I was just like, I wish God would do that to me and for me. And I started to look at scripture and say, you know what? The Holy Spirit does speak to us. Do you know that? Holy Spirit does speak to us. Let me show you some things. Look at what Paul said. Romans 8, 14, Paul says this, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, saying Christians are led. They're led by the Spirit of God, led by the Holy Spirit. That term led used to describe how someone guides a horse through a maze by pulling on his reins. That's how the Holy Spirit leads us. They're in front of us. Holy Spirit's in front of us, holding the reins of our life and just guiding us through the maze of culture. Bible well, says that's what he does for all Christians. He leads us. He guides us through those twists and turns of life. Jesus says something similar. Look at John 16. He says, but when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, look what he says. He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. That term guide there, it means to teach, to tutor. 
So not only is the Holy Spirit leading us through the twists and turns of life, but it's our, he's our tutor to understanding the truth of God. He's leading and guiding. Something else I want you to see, Romans 9.1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, you know how the Holy Spirit speaks to me? Through my conscience. That still small voice in your life, the, the prodding of your heart. And you wish that Holy Spirit would speak to you, the scriptures tell us he does. If you're like me, then your question then is, well, how do I know? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? How do I know it's, it's not the pizza the night before? How do I know it's just not bad Taco Bell? Right? You ever go to bed with this concern and this worry and you have this dream in the middle of the night and you're like, wait, is that God? Or is that just my brain just working things out? When I get asked to go on a mission trip to a dangerous part of the country or a dangerous part of the world and I have this fear in my heart, is that the Holy Spirit telling me to hold back? Or is that my chicken flesh not wanting to put any risk out? When I'm getting ready to talk to one of my friends about Jesus and I get afraid in my heart, is that the Spirit? The Bible tells us the heart's deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? How can I know? How, how can we know if it's my flesh or the Spirit? Those of you who are in your 50s or later like me, there used to be those cartoons, right? Where you had a demon on one shoulder and an angel on the other and they were both talking. You ever feel like that? You don't know where to go? All right, Brian, sure, the Holy Spirit's talked to us. How do I, uh, Holy Spirit, not spirits, Holy Spirit talks to us. How do I know? Well, here's some steps that I've learned that help me discern if it's the Spirit. Man, I use this a lot with the elders because I get a lot of ideas. Sometimes it's hard for me to know, is this the Lord telling me to go this way as a church or is this just me being Brian and I'm bored and I create something in my own head? Two steps. Number one, two questions to ask if you're wondering if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you because the Bible says he leads us, he guides us through our conscience, through our heart. Two questions. Question number one, does it align with Scripture? What, the, what you feel the Holy Spirit is telling you, does it align with Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit's God. He's not going to disagree with himself. Does it align with Scripture? I've heard all sorts of people throughout my time, kind of, hey, Brian, the Holy Spirit told me, and it doesn't align with Scripture. Like, no, sorry. No, he didn't. Well, the, Bible, the Holy Spirit, I had this dream, and it says he's okay with, no. It doesn't align with Scripture. He's not. Great way to determine whether it's the Spirit or the Taco Bell. Does it align with Scripture? If it doesn't align with Scripture, it's not the Spirit. Second question. Okay, Brian, it does. It aligns with Scripture. Second question. Or it doesn't disalign with Scripture. Second question. Do my godly friends agree with me? 
Now, here's what I mean by that. Godly friends, that doesn't mean post it on social media and Facebook. Your 4,000 followers do not qualify as all godly friends, how I'm defining it. Here's what I mean by godly friends. Godly friends, someone who knows Jesus better than you and knows you better than you. Godly friends, people who know Jesus better than you and you better than you. I love going to some of my guys, say, is this spirit or pizza? And I'm trusting they know Jesus. And they know me. Brian, that's pizza. My question, do you have one or two people? One or two people in your life. You feel like the Holy Spirit's talking to you, calling you to move forward. Man, don't ignore it. Don't squelch it. The Bible says don't squelch the spirit. Don't quench it. Don't push it down. If you have questions, man, I'm not sure. Is this the Holy Spirit or not? Number one, does it align with Scripture? Man, I just feel like with my heart I need to share my faith. Well, that certainly aligns with Scripture. You're still not sure. You ask your friend, hey, it's still really telling me I should share my faith. Your friend's like, well, you're a chicken. You don't usually take steps like that. That's probably the Lord. Do you have one or two people? One or two. Don't, don't poll everybody on social media. You're just going to get confused. One or two people that know Jesus better than you. And know you well enough that they'll speak truth. For me, folks, when we find ourselves as a church, as a family, as a couple, as a community, as a culture, as Christians, we know God's stirring. We know he's up to something. We can't necessarily agree on what he's doing, how he's going to do it, or when he's going to accomplish it. First step, listen to God. Search his word. Number two, follow the spirit. The Bible tells us he leads us and guides us. Man, we have the breath of God here. We have the spirit of God here. Peter says, look, I followed the Spirit. I didn't even get to finish my sermon before he just did his job. Like, I know. Peter says, I know this is what God wanted me to do. He told me to do it. The Holy Spirit guided me to do it. Third thing, when we know God's up to something, when we know he's stirring, but we don't know what, we don't know how, we don't know where, we can't agree, listen to God, follow the Spirit. Thirdly, you've got to trust Jesus in what he said. Look at what Peter says next, verse 16. After he talks about the Spirit, and he said, And then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then all of a sudden it dawned on me. This whole baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be different, that we're going to be immersed into something new. Let's put our thumb in Acts, because it's been a while. Let's go back to when Jesus said it. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus, gathering them together, I'm in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
not many days from now. So they had come together. They were asking him, Lord, is it this time? It's now the time. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or epochs, right? But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Peter says, oh my gosh, now I get it. This has always been God's plan. To bring us all together, the baptizes, immerse us into the power of God, all of us, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans. Look at how Paul... How Paul said it, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said this, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. I shared Ephesians 4, one of my favorite passages of all of scripture. I know I say that a lot, but I mean it in Ephesians 4. Where Paul says, there's one Lord, one faith, one hope, one calling, one baptism. The Lord who is in all and through all. I mean, this is the work of God. So Peter, Peter comes into this moment like he just had this euphoric high where he learned this powerful truth directly from God and witnessed this miraculous thing of God. And these Gentiles who were previously cut off from God are now restored into the body of Christ and filled with the exact same spirit, the exact same way they were. And he comes home and people are like, oh, we don't get it. We don't think that's right. What are you doing? Instead of freaking out, instead of starting a whole new church, instead of damning everyone to hell and questioning everyone's salvation, Peter said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's listen to God for a minute. Let's follow the Spirit. Let's trust Jesus. After he finished all that, look at how he finished verse 17. He says, therefore... If God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter's like, what do you want me to do? God's word gave me this truth. God's spirit led me this way. Jesus' teaching confirmed this plan. And God did it. What am I supposed to do? Say, no thanks? What am I supposed to do? Just forget I heard it and go through my life? Peter says, what are you getting mad at me for? God's moving. And he's going this direction, and here's why. According to the word of God, the direction of the Spirit, the teachings of Jesus. Look at the result, verse 18. When they heard this, when all those circumcised Christians, right, that didn't get it, causing that whole brouhaha. Look what it says. When they heard this, they quieted down, glorified God, saying, well then, I love that. It's not quite enthusiasm. It's not quite rebellion. It's kind of a, okay. Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Out of all that drama, this whole movement of Christ had confidence in the plan of God's salvation. I think it's so easy to demonize these early Christians. How foolish. 
Man, they missed the point of Jesus. They don't understand the gospel and oh, we just love to go after those circumcised Jews. But if we hit pause, there are good people who love Jesus who are missing some of the truth of God. I want to ask you a question. Where is God moving in your life? But there is an agreement on exactly what he's doing, how he's getting there, or when he's going to accomplish it. What aspect of your life, man, you know God's moving. But there's not quite agreement on what he's doing, how he's getting there, or when he's going to accomplish it. Maybe it's in your marriage. You know God's moving in his heart, but good heavens, it's taken forever. Maybe it's in your home. You know God's moving, but man, I don't get what he's doing. Maybe it's in your culture. Maybe it's in your church. Man, I got to tell you, for me, I just believe that God is working in the Chino Valley in ways that I haven't seen in the 19 years I've lived here. There's unity in churches. There's openness to the gospel. There's a readiness for people to listen. 86% of people on our 10-mile radius believe in God Over 60% believe that he is actively involved in their life day by day. But still, 47% have no religious involvement whatsoever. Man, I I think it's time that God's going to do a work. Some people don't agree. And I don't know how. I don't always know what. I wish I knew when. But I know he's up to something. I know he's moving. And I know there's going to be times as a church and as a movement and as Christians in the Chino Valley, we don't agree. And when we don't agree, we get scared, we get angry, we get controlling. My encouragement for you, wherever that's going on in your life, we first start by listening to God. What's his word say? Man, it's the breath of God. It's not some book. It's a gift. Second, follow the Spirit. I know we're Baptists. We don't talk about him much but he's leading you and guiding you. Don't squelch it. Don't push it down. Listen to it. Follow it. Verify it with the word of God with one or two people that you know love Jesus and will be truthful to you. And trust Jesus. So that I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
My grace is sufficient for you. And who at the end of time will say to you, if you're a follower of his, well done, good and faithful servant, enter my rest. Then let's move forward in unity and find out together what God's going to do. Let's pray. God, again, we come as a church before you, God, and if we're honest, a lot of us, many of us, most of us, if not all of us, God, we know you're active, we know you're moving, we know you're working, but God, we don't always agree on how you're doing it or even what you're doing or when you're going to do it. And God, we confess to you in the midst of those times of disagreement, we tend to fracture, gossip, condemn, conjecture. God, we begin to speak about things that we don't know. So God, we pray, God, give us the strength and the patience to do what Peter did. God, when people are missing out on seeing God the way we do, God, give us the strength and courage to explain to them your truth. Describe to them the working of your spirit and the model of Jesus. And God, give us humility that we'd allow people to speak into us. God, unify our church even more that we might be people who are committed to being and making disciples of you together. God, unify Christians in the Chino Valley, God, that we might be about your work together. God, unify our marriages, unify our homes. Open our eyes that we might see you clear, that we might bring you more glory together. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.